Welcome to the James Quandall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. Today's guest is Joe Partavilla, the author of the new book, Good Listen. Joe was a radio personality and producer on the New York City radio station 95.5 PLJ. He studied sketch and improv comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade and was a founding member and actor in the New York-based sketch comedy group Clip Show. He's the co-director, writer, and producer of the award-winning horror satire, The Witches of Bushwick. Currently, he serves as a director of podcasts for Advantage Media Group, Forbes Books. During our conversation, we discussed how to create magic moments in conversations by being curious and completely present with others. Joe explains how to be an active listener and how to pay attention to what isn't said in a conversation. Finally, Joe shared his thoughts on if it's even possible to improve in conversation and what the tangible benefits of being a good conversationalist are. We discussed all of this and so much more in today's episode, so please give it a listen and send me a message with your thoughts at James Quandall on Instagram or Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe or follow and share this episode with a friend. So while I was reading your book, I felt like I was reading a lot about me and because we have a lot in common as far as conversations and the importance that we put on conversation. And to me, it kind of feels like it's becoming a lost art. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. And because, you know, technology has sort of done this to all of us where it's so much easier to just text to ask a question or it's it's great to share some news in your life with a click of a button. But because of all that ease, you sort of lose nuance and you lose the fact that, you know, sometimes it's OK to work for a little, you know, to, to make your point across as opposed to just like throwing something out there and then hoping it's received in a certain way. So uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, honestly, I love a good text as, as well as anybody, James. But I think that sometimes it's very difficult to communicate with people because it's so hard to work in any of that nuance I'm talking about. Here's an example. So I'm always a very careful texter. So I'm I'm one of these people that I'll be like, hey, is this so, if, my, if someone's standing by me, like, is this okay to send someone? Is this you know? And so I'm 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 even like the simplest things. Like for example, uh, I just I'm working on a house now that we my wife and I got. And a lot of work's involved. So we're, we're, we've, got a lot, we've got so many different people that we're involved with. And a lot of them like communicating via text. So, which is fine by me because a lot of it is like yes or no answers. So that's super simple. But a lot of the times I feel like a lot of these people that you're, you're texting with, they have that same kind of bugaboo a lot of us have where it's like you can't get any kind of humor or sort of, you know, what you're feeling across. So I'm always cognizant of that, that I don't want to be that person. So I'll always start a text with like a nicety, like, hey, happy Monday. Hope everything's going well. And then follow up with a question. And so I remember I was uh, I bought these two stools. I know this is really random, but I bought these two stools from a company because apparently it's hard, James, to get like nice stools that aren't from like a Wayfair Amazon. Oh, it's impossible. I know this firsthand. Oh, good. So you so you, you feel my pain like stools are hard to come by. So in, in Charleston, South Carolina, you'll be shocked, James. There's an actual store that's just called Bar Stools, and all they sell are bar stools. It's a, like an amazing collection. Like anything you could think of of a stool you could sit on, it's pretty amazing. 
So this lady were communicating via text this whole time. So the, the, the stools were coming from Canada. Apparently, that's where they make stools nowadays. And so when we first bought the stools, uh, I don't think I've ever said stool so many times on a podcast, so I apologize, James. But when we first ordered the, ordered the chairs, I'll, ch- I'll, share, I'll change it there. Um, the, the young lady was like, hey, listen, since they're coming from Canada, it could take 8 to 12 weeks. So I'm like, okay, fine. We're in a rush, whatever. And so that was going to put us towards like October. But when it comes to stuff like this, James, when you, especially when you have a personal connection, it's not like you're ordering online. I am, I'm always one of these people like to check in and be like, hey, just check in and see on that progress. So I text her like a few weeks ago and I'm like, hey, you know, again, not super nicety. I hope you're having a great weekend, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I just wanted to check in to see if there was any updated status on the stools. And then she writes back again, without any niceties or anything like that. She goes, as I told you, when you first bought the stools, they will arrive in October. When they get here, I will let you know. And in person, I'm sure that would have come across as dickish as well. But the fact that there's no ability to sort of say it in a way that was welcoming, I was like, wow, that is like the coldest and almost harshest response to a simple question as, you know, she could have easily have text back, no, nothing to report yet, I'll keep you posted. But instead, she felt the need to point out, like, as I told you, they're coming from Canada and they won't be available till October. And I'm like, and I was so gutted by it. And it was one of those things, James, where you have to put in 50% deposit before you, you can actually put the order in. If I had not done that, James, I swear to you, I would have been like, you know what? As I told you, I like to work with people who are nice to me and I want to cancel my order. I can't do that. But because of the fact that she told me that they wouldn't be ready till October, she gave this nasty response via text. I'm surprised she didn't put a heart emoji or like a thumbs up emoji. Right. I mean, that would have changed everything. Totally. Right? The emojis are a game changer, I will say. Like, especially like because it's, as you know, very hard to get across sarcasm and humor. So emojis are key, and I'm very, and I'm I'm a very sarcastic kind of like a goofy person. So those those are key. But when it comes to dealing with in professional settings with someone that I've hired or or buying something from, I always try to keep it as chipper. But I also try to keep any kind of anything that could be misconstrued as a, a joke out of the equation. But this all goes to what we were talking about from the top, James, about conversations. If I had called her. Uh, who knows if I called her, she probably would have said the same thing, but in a text, man, it just, it hits you like a hammer. Well, I think it's a lot easier to be rude in a text mm-hmm. message because you don't actually have to see how that person's taking it. Right. And it's so easy just to send it off without thinking. Like I don't, th- I do the same thing you do. If I'm sending an email, I'm like, does this sound rude? Am I saying what I think I'm saying in this? Like, Almost to where it's like it's slowing me down, but it's only because I like to communicate in person. And when you can't do that, you have to make sure it's being read correctly by someone else. Yeah. But why do we continue to use this medium of communication that's pretty flawed when it it isn't work like people are breaking up by text messages now yeah. instead of like going and actually meet, seeing the person in, in real life. Well, I mean, this has a lot to do with the basis of my book and everything I do in life. And it's, I think we're just all afraid to have these face to face or even telephone conversations. And this is, this sort of removes that barrier of like, Hey, in real life, this lady probably would not have responded to me like that. But 
because these barriers are are down, it's like, okay, cool. I could just do this and I'm done with it. I'm done for the day. As opposed to in real life, like you'll hear this from celebrities all the time. They'll say on social media, I get so much hate, nasty things. Like if you want to know how mean people are, go to your favorite celebrities, Twitter, and then don't like read their tweet, but read the reply at tweets below it. And it's like the most vile, disgusting things you'd ever say. But to a person, if you were to ask these celebrities, so you get all this hate online. Have you ever had one negative experience in public with someone who, quote unquote, hates you? And to a person, they'll all say never, not once. Because in person, someone say, for example, a Kim Kardashian, who's a very sort of polarizing celebrity. People either love or hate her online. She probably gets more hate. But in person, I, I, I guarantee you outside of the time that she was, you know, gagged and robbed. I will say most of her experiences with strangers are probably 100 percent nice. And yeah. people are like in awe. Oh, my God. Kim Kardashian. Oh, my God. She's so much smaller in person. Oh, she's so nice. But in this world of social media and the fact that we don't connect with each other, you'll have this sort of. I don't know. It's almost like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing where it's like you become a different person because you can't see or or have these really more nuanced conversations with people because you can't feel emotions. You can't see body language, all that stuff. So it's it's a terrible sort of, you know, vicious cycle that we're not going to get out of. But that's why I say when you can always lean on making a phone call, meeting a person face-to-face, because that's how you will get things done. And that's how your true self will shine. Because I think no matter what we do, James, to all the niceties we had in texts or emails, no matter what we do, our humanness will never come across in the digital form. It never will. I mean, obviously, bits of it, whether you're a funny person, serious person, smart person, little things like stuff that's sort of very much on the surface, but that stuff below the surface, you'll never get to that in a digital medium and it's interesting because there's so many people now that are working from home Mm. and haven't even met in person most of the people that they're working with maybe they have a company retreat once a year for four days but beyond that it's all slack messages emails and text messages to to work and for me i couldn't i don't think i could really thrive in that environment because you i can't i so much of conversation is how it feels with the other person. And when it's just like a text message or an email, it's just how you feel. Yeah. And without getting too off the subject, when it comes to these like technologies that we use at work, sometimes there's just too much of it because in my day job, I have Slack, I have email, I have text, I have phone. And then as a lot of companies, uh, people work with, if, if it's, they're like a, a media or kind of a, or a pub company, there's also like a project managing software that you're involved with so you have all of these different things and then sometimes you get some sort of digital brain fog you're like i remember a message but where, where was that was that message on slack was that an email was that a te- i mean was that in our project management software so then it becomes another thing where you're like it's hard to keep track of where all these messages are coming from i mean one day someone will solve that riddle of putting everything in one place but right now it's so confusing so you have this whole detachment piece that we're talking about james and you bring it up but then it's the fact that we just don't even know how to connect all these disparate pieces because it's so confusing. So it's a lot I think going it's on. hard as a manager of people or a leader of an organization to really follow what's happening or not happening because 
like there's this old saying, trust your employees, but verify, Yeah. right? You got to make sure they're actually getting it done. How do you do that? If there's Google Drive, there's Asana, there's Slack, there's Voxer, there's text, there's Zoom, there's Skype, you know, people are messaging employees on Instagram DM. Like there's this communications happening everywhere. It's like, they're like, oh, I didn't get that message. And you're like, oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. But could you imagine in like the retail job I had, like I could tell an employee, hey, I need you to dust these, um, the, the floorboards before you go home for the day. And then like the next day, like, oh, I didn't get that message. Like <laughs> I said it literally to your face. Yeah. Like that was never acceptable in that world. But in this online communication, like all the time, it's like, oh, I didn't get that email. Oh, yeah. We assume someone didn't get it, right? Well, and as you know now, the new dog ate my homework is your message went to spam. So <laughs> you could, uh, anytime you forget to respond to someone, oh, yeah, that message, oh, I must have gone into my spam, which is, you know, it's another way of us avoiding communicating because we're like, maybe I just didn't, you just didn't want to respond to that message for whatever reason. And then when the person calls you on it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that one must have, oh, it must be my spam folder or something like that. Are you sure the email's sent? Yeah. <laughs> it's in your drafts. You know, that's another thing. Yeah. But why? Why are we so afraid? I do get when you don't communicate in person for a while, it is a little bit intimidating. Yeah. But like, why are we so afraid? Like, it's so much better to talk in person. Yeah. And speaking of afraid, how about when you get a text from someone or an email? Hey, can we talk? Can, oh. we, can, can, you, can we hop on the phone? We all. All of us do this. When someone writes in a message that like, hey, could we talk on the phone or something? We all are like, what's going on here? What's happening? Bad news? Is this going to be? And it's scary to think that the idea of a conversation is treated like the latest Halloween movie. It's it's frightening to people to like, what 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 can't we do via this digital platform we're using, whether it's a DM or text or something or email? Why does a phone call have to be involved? Yeah. I'd, for me, if a client says, James, can we uh, set up a call this week? I assume I'm getting fired. <laughs> and like, for the, I'm like, can we please just have the call right this second? Right. So I don't have to spend the next four days Absolutely. like panicking about everything calendar, I've James. done. I'll put it in your calendar for next week. It's okay. Like, oh, God. No, no, no. <laughs> I won't be able to sleep for an entire week. I was in um, uh, on a vacation with my wife in the spring and like got that email. And I'm like, I think I'm getting fired. And I'm like couldn't sleep like getting all frustrated like getting like what did i do wrong like looking at all my emails was there something i forgot to do whatever and finally I had the call and right i i did get fired and then i slept great like it wasn't actually being fired that i was afraid of it was like james we don't like you or something like yeah. like they were gonna say like i'm a horrible person but like that wasn't how it worked yeah well, and also the waiting, I'm sure, was worse than the actual firing. Although fi getting fired sucks, but just like that waiting game is just an awful thing. And, you know, unfortunately, it's it, that could also be to the fact that that person who let you go was probably just afraid to do it at the moment. Like they were, they were like, you know, I, give me three days to, to devise what I'm going to say, James, when I'm letting him go. You know, so we all have this and I think we have to give each other grace. I think that's super important. I talk about this in the book is just. We never know what another person's going through in life. Uh, so that's why being careful as possible when it comes to digital communications. Because if I, if you had gotten that message, James, and you were going through hell in life, God forbid something was going on, like you were sick or family member sick, and then you get this message, man, wouldn't it be worse than if the person just called you and be like, hey, listen, I understand things. Are, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I think we're going to have to let you go. 
I mean, just the idea of, of that just makes things so much worse than they should be because we're so afraid to communicate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, I do like in your book how you talked about leaving, I think you kind of put it like leaving the darkness at the door. And when you're at the radio station, you had people that would come in and they were like fighting like cats and dogs. And then they'd get in the room and it was like they were best friends. And that shocked me. I don't know if I have that ability. Like, I feel like I wear my heart on my sleeves. Like, I, I have a really hard time containing it. But I loved that metaphor of just leaving it at the door. Absolutely. And I think we could benefit from that. Yeah, I mean, uh, so in my book, I know people latch on to the fact that I've mentioned a lot of celebrities in the book. But the only reason I bring them up is they're great sort of connectors for folks. because. I, and you just said it was a guitar player yeah, anyway. So. Yeah, so in, in the book, it was uh, John Bon Jovi. And Richie Sambor famously were in Bon Jovi for 30 some odd years. And then they had a bit of a falling out later in their career where Richie got kicked out of the band. But before Richie got kicked in the band, John and Richie come to our, our station. And before they go into our studio for the interview, they go and handle media obligations separately. So one goes off into one office that we have in the building. Another goes in the other. So it's about five minutes before we, we go the, get the interview going. Uh, I send my producer down to John and get, hey, John, uh, Mr. Bon Jovi, we're about to go on. Can you come on down to the studio? Uh, and before that, he goes to Richie Sambora and he goes, hey, uh, Mr. Sambora, we're going to bring you down to the studio. Richie goes, cool. I'll be right there. So the, the producer goes down to, to John Bon Jovi and he goes, hey, Mr. Bon Jovi, we're set to go. Mind you, John and Richie have been together basically their entire adult and even pre-prebescent life. They've been together that long. John's response to my producer was, go get the guitarist. <laughs> maybe, maybe they're no longer friends anymore, but they're lifelong friends. And you can see that there was genuine animosity between John and Richie. And, and when my producer told that to me, I'm like, oh boy, what's, what's this going to be all? What's this interview going to be? John walks in, Richie walks in, and they acted as if they were brothers who had not had a moment apart in 30 years. Like they were just jocular, having fun, teasing each other. But 30 seconds before that conversation, John treats Richie Sambora like he is like the dirt on the bottom of his shoe. But when it comes to the, when the lights go on, that microphone lights up red, he was just like, yeah, everything's great. We're having this great time. They're sharing stories, talking about being in Bon Jovi together. But that's where it talks about that, you know, that piece you're bringing up, James, about being able to leave all that stuff behind. And especially for folks, you know, when I was doing terrestrial radio for over 20 years in New York, as you can imagine, we, we're, we're humans. So you're going to have rough days where we all are having fights with each other or we're having fights with our spouses or having trouble at home. But when it's time to perform, you just have to leave that all behind. And Obviously, in using as the radio metaphor goes, it's like, you know, you're putting on a show. I mean, that goes to, with real life. We all, you know, whether you have a, a day job in retail or corporate, we're all going to have stuff that happens behind the scenes or even stuff that happens internally that you have to just leave that behind and be a performer. And in a way, that's how we should all treat life when it comes to having interactions with other people. Like my stool story. Maybe that that woman had was just having a really bad day. And instead of just doing her business, just took it out on me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a huge proponent of the golden rule, James. I finish every podcast by saying, treat everyone as you want to be treated. And so I think it's if you have that sort of mindset where 
you give each other grace, but then you leave your garbage behind. It's such an easy way to communicate and get things done. It's not easy, mind you, but if you come it from that place, you're never going to offend anyone. You're never going to say the wrong thing because everything is always coming from a good place. Do you think that when you do that, you, you put on your best face, let's say, for the show mm -hmm. or just in the conversation, do you think you end up believing it? Like, you know, you're like almost faking it till you make yeah. it like, on air. I love this guy. And then we leave and we actually are buddies again. Like, yeah, I think I think there is a mental thing. It's almost like the, you know, psyching yourself up for a game or something like that, where you then all, all these endorphins and all the good stuff that your body chemistry produces. Uh, I think you definitely can. And, and in a way, it's probably not long lived where maybe maybe it wears off after a couple hours, but it could be just enough to get you through that meeting or that interaction you have with, with a coworker, whether you're not looking forward to. Uh, but yeah, I mean, James, it's, it's really hard because as humans, we have a lot of baggage we all bring, but there's no reason to, you know, when, when you're walking through airport, when you have heavy bags, you're not going to just give it to somebody else. Like we all have to carry it. So carry it, but carry it in a way where you're just not affecting everyone else in a negative way. How do you get better at that? Cause that is definitely a flaw of mine. I do not assume that someone's acting that way because they had a rough day or because they're going through something i'm like oh that person's just a jerk like i'm just not gonna you know yeah hang around them anymore and i'd really like to be the kind of person that sees the best in someone yeah. I, I mean i quote in the book david foster wallace he gave this great uh commencement speech many many years ago and it's it, it's it's actually been quoted as like the best commencement speech that's ever been given at a, at a college and it's called this is water and he he says all of these little stories, but I'll, I'll use one of them. So for many of us, say you're an environmentally friendly person and you see someone with a big SUV, a gas guzzler. If you are high, high, and high and mighty, and you're very judgmental of people, you'll see that person driving that truck and be like, what a jerk. Why does that person need a gas guzzling SUV when all that's wrong with the environment and the, all the money that goes into it. What a waste and blah, blah, blah. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it, James, is why is that person driving that SUV? Maybe 10 years ago, they got into a horrible car accident where now all of a sudden they only feel comfortable driving a big truck. Now, there's two ways to look at it. One is being super judgmental and being what a waste that person is. That's, that's piggish. The other way to look at it is why is that person driving that truck? Maybe it is. Maybe that person doesn't care, but you don't know that. If you don't have that conversation with that person, you will never know that maybe they feel safer in a truck. Maybe they, in a, maybe they were driving a little car many years ago, had a bad experience, and now they, the only way they feel comfortable driving is in a truck. So that's a great way to think about like when you see someone uh, I'm a card carrying liberal from uh, New Jersey and the New York City metro area. And when I moved down to Charleston, one of my neighbors was driving a QAnon truck. And when I mean a QAnon truck, I mean this big red pickup truck with all the QAnon symbols, the, the giant acronym across the, the, the windshield of the car. And my, again, my card carrying liberal side of me would be like, what's up with this guy? Why is it, why is it, why is it, who would believe in any of that? Whether you believe it or not, but like as most people and most liberals will probably look on that and be like very judgmental and be like, what, what, this is just, this, that guy's just like a weirdo. 
fast forward, the community, there's a community pool. I run into, he, he happens to sit next to me on the pool and he could not have been the nicest human being. We talked for about an hour, just about our families and life, never once talking about politics or anything like that. And he was just a really cool dude. If I was so judgmental and not giving him the opportunity to share what kind of person he was, I would have never known that. I would have just been like, what a weirdo driving this big old truck that's got the big QAnon, what, where we go, we, they go, whatever that saying is they have. And But just having this interaction with this person, I was like, he's just like me. Sure, he believes in something I would never believe in, but that's okay. We don't have to all believe in the same things. We don't have to all believe in God or certain gods or anything like that. Just let people do what they want to do as long as they don't as long as they don't want to change what you're thinking. Man, God bless them. Let them do whatever they want. Hey, you know what? I even would say if they want to change what you're thinking, cool, let them try. And if you if you're so afraid that they might change what you're thinking, then maybe what you're thinking isn't all you don't have as much facts about what you're thinking as you think, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I used to I didn't eat meat for a few years and was a vegan and what a kind weirdo. of a plant-based no. diet. And if someone was like coming at me and like, why aren't you eating meat? If I couldn't defend it, then maybe I should probably be eating meat, right? right. Like, I don't know. Um, but that, I feel like we spend so much time like, and I'm the master at this, like finding the one thing we don't like about that person instead of the 99 things we love about that person. Yeah. And I feel like it'd be such an easier life. And you know, when you read Twitter, or you read the news, it feels like it's like we got this huge divide between people. Like there's this, there's us and there's them. Yeah. But when I talk to people, I rarely find that. Like I rarely see like this fight in the street that the news would make us want to think yeah. is happening. It's more like just people trying to live life yeah. and try to like enjoy themselves. Yeah. I mean, we, I hate to keep blaming tech, but it's almost this, it's a digital divide because you know, the two party system, Democrats and Republicans, James, those have been around for hundreds of years. And so the country survived and thrived for many, many years with this two-party system, whether you, you think it's flawed or not, or the Electoral College, whether, whether we believe in any of that stuff being co- the right way of doing things. Now it's everything's just so exposed. Like, whereas we would never talk about politics, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Now it's not, not only do we talk about politics, but we man, we throw up politics talk. Like so if you follow somebody on Twitter who's all about politics, they will pretty much 99% of their tweets will be about a political issue. And this is where I argue about Twitter being the cesspool. And to a certain extent, it can be a cesspool of negativity. But Twitter is what you make it. If you don't want to go there, you just don't follow any of those people. And I know it's in a way you're creating an echo chamber, but when I'm talking, when I, but, but I'm not just talking about like where you get your political news, but if you're only following, say if you're, say if you're on Twitter for just being a sports fan, if you only follow sports celebrities or sports news, you're never going to hear any of the crap that's going on with Joe Biden or what Trump is saying. That's just your own world. So I always push back when people blame Twitter for the, for the fall of democracy and all the, all the dramatic things people say. Twitter is what people make it. And so if you're a political junkie and just want to read about politics, you can do that. And that could affect you the way we've been talking about, It'll affect you the way you believe what you believe and what and you think what other people think are crazy. And so it just we're just it's everything just so out on the table now where years ago you just never discussed it. And now 
hey, listen, we're, we're discussing things 24-7. Well, I'm about, you know, you're going to have a dinner party with your neighbor and you look them up on Twitter before you have the dinner party. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't know if we should invite this person over anymore. And it's like, well, those topics probably wouldn't even came up at the dinner party anyway, right? Like you might have found you liked tennis and you both talked about tennis for the entire time. Like, and so you don't get along politically. do that, though. Uh, you know, James, my, my wife's family, they're all from uh, Queens, New York, conservative, they, you know, firefighters, cops, garbage men. Um, and they're all to they're all pretty much 99 percent conservative vote Republican. And my wife hates this. But every time I'm with them, we'll get into a political discussion. It's never so vitriolic. Like it's more like we're each like busting each other's nuts about what the other party. So I'll make a Trump joke and then they'll make a Biden joke at me. And I think those are great conversations to have. It's like I'm able to say what I feel about your beliefs and you're able to say what mine in a way where we're not disrespecting each other. Like they don't think I'm an idiot because I vote I, I vote for a Democrat and I don't think they're an idiot for. But here's my thoughts on your person or and vice versa. And I think we can have these conversations. But that thing, James, this all circles back to what we talked about earlier. In person, you wouldn't have these Twitter wars with another human being, not there's the, the chance of ha- you getting into a political discourse conversation with someone in person are so slim because people only travel in their packs. So you will never. And, and if you ever were to run into someone from a red state or blue state from the opposite state, you'd never have that negative interaction that you were in Twitter where like we we're talking about with the texts and, and, and tweets and everything like that. It just doesn't happen. You never I mean, you'll see it happen at rallies and, and you know, mm-hmm. when people are having marches and that that stuff happens. But in normal life, it's never going to happen. It doesn't. It just doesn't happen. And people get into these. They worry so much how this country is divided. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, it's divided just because we can see it. I think the country's always been divided, but just we just when we never saw it so clearly as we do now. That's right. Yeah. Because you can say anything with no remorse online and. You're going to get a ton of affirmation from other people that agree with that, that are in your same camp. Um, sp- speaking of Charleston, I am curious because I'm, I'm from South Carolina. Okay. And uh, what else have you noticed different since moving down to Charleston? Like what else is what else has been new? Uh, well, I will. Jo- I, my big joke is that Charleston is the little blue dot in a big red state. So uh, if people don't know, Charleston is this beautiful city uh, on the Atlantic Ocean and it's a huge college town, so it's a very you get a very liberal vibe of like college kids and everything like that. But then you're like down the block, there's a gun store, and so the one thing that drives me crazy, and I don't want to get into a conversation about guns, but like in one of the ads you'll see a lot here in in uh, South Carolina, you you probably noticed it too, like ads for gun stores, and so they the the ads are are framed in a way where um, if you want to keep your freedom you need a gun like like it's like this like this freedom and guns are synonymous they're 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 like one thing and i'm like man i'm all for people owning guns but and if they want to have a rifle or a handgun that's cool but like the idea that our freedom is tied into weapons is like really gross to me like you you can you can you we can argue about the fact that gun laws and such that's 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 something we can argue but like to link like freedom and gun ownership is just it's so crass it's like to me it's like it's it's like this gross way of saying hey listen the only way we can remain free is if we have all have guns which i don't 
I don't buy that at all. I want to know, though, completely unrelated, who's like wasn't in the market for a gun and then sees that sign and is like, oh, yeah, I need to go get one like right now. Like, I, does that market even work? I don't know. I, I, I hope not, because then all of a sudden people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe we're going to turn communist and I, I got to get my gun here and you know, to, to protect my family. It's like it's very weird. It's like uh, it, that. So that's one of the. So speaking of differences, so in New York, New Jersey, you know, gun laws are very strict. It's almost impossible if you, I think in certain, I think New York just changed it, but for many, many years, you couldn't have a handgun in New York. I think now that you can, but like, so being from the Northeast and coming down here, like the availability of it is, is, was, was really, really weird. Um, they also, when I, when we moved down here recently, they put into laws open carry. So you can, if you have a gun, you can take it anywhere you want. But ironically, and James, I don't know if you noticed in South Carolina, all of the government buildings and public buildings, you can't bring a gun. So the people who pass the laws to open carry gun anywhere else, just don't bring it into our buildings if you don't mind. It's it's like, it's cool if you open carry in a grocery store, but if you come into one of the buildings where you work at, it's not cool. So I, there is a, there's some slight hypocrisy there about, about uh, guns down here where it's like, you can bring them just about anywhere, but just not the government buildings, the people that pass the law. <laughs> on Tuesday, the Charleston River Dogs, for mm. the second year in the row, yeah. won the national championship. Yeah. And my wife and I were at the game on Sunday up in Charleston. And it, it it's a cool town. Like, I feel we're not from here. We, we moved here six years ago. But we love it down here. Oh, yeah. It's just so neat. Like, you do really have a lot of different people, a lot of interesting people that are just coming down here for the climate. And uh, Southern Living keeps writing about it. Jurors magazine writes about it. everyone's talking about how great it is to yeah. come down here. But. I will say, James, too, um, that no one's actually from Charleston. Uh, I say you came down here for school or stayed, or you came here for a woman or man and stayed. Because you it's very rare, like if you walk around Charleston proper, that you run into a quote unquote local. Everyone is a transplant, especially, you know, obviously with the mass migration. Yeah, a lot of people coming from all parts of the country. I, I run into people from New York, New Jersey, uh, the Midwest all the time down here. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a great place to live. It's hot as hell here in the summer. So if you're if you're not used to heat, it's basically damn hot from May to October. Uh, so that's something it takes a little getting used to. Like it's still weird that it's you know mid. We're recording this in mid September and we're getting like highs around 90 it's yeah. crazy but uh but yeah I, I am curious if you noticed one of the things that attracted my wife and i to moving here was although it was the same in our town not a lot of local people that have been here their whole life it seems like people actually do want to have tea on the porch and sit in a rocking mm. chair and catch up like when we see someone in the grocery store we know unlike in michigan we actually go up and have a conversation with them in michigan we'd like go down a different aisle. Like we didn't want to run into them. Yeah. Like we'd avoid them. But here we notice like people actually seem to want to slow down and actually have a conversation. Yeah. I actually love that. It's, it's funny you mentioned that because this, so this, that we came to Charleston, we lived in an apartment for a couple of years, then built a house. And then, so we have this like very much Mayberry type neighborhood where all the neighbors know each other. And I, and, and, and it's a great point. I, I love the fact that when I'm walking my dog, I could run into someone and just have like shoot the shit, like make like very, like very minor conversation, uh, just sharing what's going on in each other's lives. So yeah, it's, it's, it is great living in a neighborhood. I've always lived in sort of like urban settings. So you never really had that. You didn't know your neighbor's name. And now it's like, 
I know all my neighbors' names and I know their dogs and everything like that. It's it's very weird for someone from the Northeast to have that, but uh, but I think it's it's great, and I think that's one of the things that that a lot of folks in big cities miss out on the fact that you never know your neighbors' names and you never know people outside of your, you know, your closest circle of friends or family. So, um, yeah, I mean, not that Charleston is like the, is, is like the backwater country. I mean, it's, it is, a, it's, it's, it is a very metropolitan city, but it still has this vibe of like this open country Mayberry RFD kind of thing. Yeah. I call it the Southern hospitality where when you meet someone, when you live in South Carolina, you're supposed to immediately introduce that person to two people that they need to know <laughs> yeah. in your town, right? Yeah. And I think that's really cool because it's kind of the solution to what we're discussing here, which is the loss of communication. Yeah. And it's just about being deliberate. Do you think, do you see a future where we can kind of get off technology and get back into real communication? No, absolutely not. But I do see it in a world where people that embrace direct communication, they're the ones that will become the most successful. Like I believe the next generation of leaders, uh, whether it's in corporate or, or politics, I think the people that are able to have co nuanced conversations, communicate with people in a way that's not just, you know, slug lines and, and, you know, 240 character tweets. I think the people that are able to do that well, they will, they'll, they'll be the leaders. They'll be the ones showing the way and then people will follow them. Um, so I think, I think that's why podcasting is great, James, as you know, I mean, I always, the, the big joke is, I don't know who's, who's the first person who said it, but like one podcast equals five first dates. Uh, and <laughs> you, you can get so much out of a one hour conversation, whether it's having the conversation on the podcast or being the listener that you can't get in any other form. And I think that's fascinating. And which is funny. I think I, I bring it up in the book too, James, is that, we're in this world where we're all about quick communication, yet one of the most popular mediums is something where that some of the shows are up to three hours. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's crazy. Like it, it almost like makes no sense. And even like even like TV. Remember years ago, James, I don't know if you're old enough to remember many, many years ago, they're like people's attention spans are so low. We're going to have to cut down the amount of time an episode is like the, you know, the old classic one hour episode can't be that long anymore. Now it has to be 22 minutes. Yeah. It has to be really short. But then all of a sudden with Netflix, you have people, Oh yeah. What'd you do this weekend? Oh yeah. I binge watched, you know, 13 hours of stranger things. It's like, so when, so when people say like their attention span is shortened. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. But I feel like if you have the attention for something you will embrace it. So you will listen to a three-hour Joe Rogan podcast. You will watch a 13-episode drama from Germany on Netflix because you enjoy it. So um, so there is more to it. I think, I think when we speak in things like, you know, uh, we're divided, we're, are things ever going to be better? It's like, it's it's as better as you can make it yourself. Like, we all have to take steps in our own world. And that's me writing this book, having conversations with you about it. It's just telling you the importance and the stuff we're missing out on. And if, if people pick up one little nugget from my book or our conversation today, that's really all we can ask for because there's nothing else we can do. Mm -hmm. Do you, so if this next generation, which I agree that communication is going to help people stand out, can, if you don't have it, can you learn it? Like, did you always have a gift for communication? So I will say I've always been, and you probably gather from our 38 minutes of talking, I've always been extroverted and kind of a type A person. But I will say when it comes to communicating, I think that took time because I had the problem that a lot of people have where they see a conversation as not 
two people having a conversation. It's two people talking. So, and what that means is you listening to the person, not for what they're saying, but listening for them to stop talking so you can speak. And I think we're all guilty of this. And me coming from radio where, you know, you, you have a finite amount of time per break to, to have a conversation, to, to do anything or, you know, talk or, or get your point across all you're waiting for is for someone to, to finish talking so you can get your point across. And in real life, we're all guilty of this. And so it's just a time for me to just listen. And, uh, and I feel like that's what made me better at, you know, being on the radio and podcasting is that when it comes to having these conversations with people, it's really just giving, following their lead and letting them give you information to bounce off of, you know, it's the old listen and react thing. And I think that's very important. Like I tell folks when you're doing a podcast, there's no need to have 40 questions ready for that podcast. Or, or even if you're if, if in like work, like if you're having a meeting with someone, there's no need to have 40 questions ready for that two or three. And then listening what the other person tells you, that's what will guide the conversation because that's what makes it, you know, to use a word that's been, you know, done, said and read, uh, ad nauseum it's like organic that organic conversation only happens when it's these two people that's how you get the, that's how you create the, the the secret sauce when two people are stirring that pot together otherwise you're not ever going to get that if it's just two people talking and that's why i always like when i when i consult people who are doing podcasts never in your brain think of this as an interview and for shorthand when we're discussing it behind the scenes you can say hey you're doing this interview but i would say think of it as a conversation because an interview connotates to me question, answer, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. That's not a conversation. That's not interesting. To me, that's like you could read that. You yes. know, a, a bot can do that <laughs> nowadays with AI. But to have that conversation that the people feed off each other, that's where the listen piece comes of all. That's where the, you know, from earlier in our conversation, that's why the, the caring piece, caring about what other people are thinking, what they're feeling. That's how you create magic moments and have great conversations. I agree. And I think it's so much easier to actually just listen and participate in conversation if you just have a lot of interests. Like if you read widely, if you play different games, if you if you have friends in different groups, like you're going to talk with anyone and you're going to find common ground because that's where the magic, I believe, the magic moments happen in that common ground. Yeah. Like where you actually can relate. And it's not like, yes, no questions. Like, what good is that? Yeah, and that's why people sometimes, like, if they're introverted, they'll be like, hey, listen, I'm not obnoxious like you. I'm not, like, a type A. I'm not I'm not an extrovert. I'm not, I can't have, I, I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in conversations. And that's like, well, that's where the listen piece comes in. Because if you're an introverted person, that means the other person's going to be doing more of the talking. And if you're listening to that person and what they're giving you, then you're like, oh, okay. I wasn't normally, I, I, I didn't think in a thousand years I would talk about this one subject, but since they brought it up, <laughs> I can now bring it up to them. So, so I understand it's, it's harder for introverts, but it's not impossible because as long as you have the things we've been talking about, you know, caring about what other people uh, think and feel, uh, being present, listening, it, you don't have, to, you don't have to think about quips or anything funny to be, to say, it's just all about just share, sharing the space with someone, whether it's in person or it's via zoom or whatever way you're communicating in a more sort of, I guess, authentic manner, as opposed to just sending a, a message to someone. So yeah, anyone could do it. It just, like I said, to me, I had the, the piece of being like this loud mouth, but being a loud mouth doesn't make you a good communicator. It just makes you a loud mouth. I would actually argue that someone introverted more often than not 
is empathetic also mm. and is naturally a pretty good listener. Yeah, so just possible. use that. Like the other person wants to talk. Yes. You want to listen and you don't want to talk. Right. Like, this is like a match made in heaven. Like totally. everyone wins here. <laughs> Absolutely. And those people and 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 those if, if you're in that sort of dynamic that you you create there, it's those people then feed into you like because all of a sudden, oh, now I have something to say. Coming into this conversation, I had nothing to say, but after that person said this, now I can say this. So I think it's 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 important that don't feel like if say you're not a quote unquote people person that you can't have conversations. You can. It may just not become as easy as someone who's a little more extroverted because they they don't have these walls up. Because introverted people they'll have the walls up about af- afraid to share. Whereas the extroverted person, those walls have been obliterated a long time ago. But it, it, in a way, the introverted person, like you said, can be better at it because of the fact that they they're not so worried about getting their point across. They just they'll take it in and all listen. When I worked in retail and sales, I my technique was really not even to like show products. I just got to know that person. I'm like, oh, where do you live? Tell me about your house. Like if I'm selling a TV. Oh, what do you like to watch? Like all these questions completely unrelated to the TV. Yeah. But then 30 minutes later, I'm like, you know what? After getting to know you, this is these two TVs are the ones I think are best for you. And here's why based on what you told me. Like there was a line we would use that I would train based on what you told me. This isn't my recommendation. This is what you said. And I feel like that is like the way it, it, to, to communicate is to just listen and then let them tell you. Yeah, we just don't do enough of it. And unfortunately, because of what we've been talking about today, the, the fact that all, all we're doing is just sending out information, but not, not really taking in, in any all sides of it. It hurts us. But if we just make a little effort, and I'm not saying, James, you got to change the way you your entire life. If you just take these little steps that we, we've been discussing today or in my book or what other people talk about when it comes to active listening, passive listening, all that stuff. If you just take those little baby steps, that will all make you a better communicator. And we just all have to do it. We, uh, you know, as much as someone like me who wrote a book about it, I still have, I'll have times where I'll be in a dinner party with someone and I'm just be thinking about, oh, this person's got a story. I've got, I'm sure I have fu- something funny I can add to it later on. And uh, so, I mean, we're all guilty of it, but we just try not to do it. We just try to become better people. And I think as long as we do that in all walks of life, whether it's the communication piece or, at our jobs or as husbands, wives, brothers, sisters, just take little baby steps. We can all become better at whatever we want. We, we choose to. Do you feel like there's like a fear of silence? Like, well, I have to be ready to say something in case they just stop talking. Yeah. But I think that's the, I think that's so far down the field. Like the silence piece is like, you know, especially, you know, and although podcasting, I, I think embraces it. Like you'll see a lot more pauses in in conversations in, in a podcast than you would like back in the old days of whether it's a television talk show or, 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 you know, terrestrial radio, but silence is also good. Like you can always punctuate, you know, points with silence. So silence isn't always a bad thing. I mean, awkward silences after someone says someone, then the other people don't know how to react. Those are <laughs> bad. Those are bad silences. Like if someone says something that stops things, but if people just run out of things to discuss, you know, silence isn't always the worst thing in the world. Just, I mean, in that case, just think about what caused the silence. Was it just that one, neither of the people were listening to each other, or maybe one person wasn't listening enough. So sometimes that silence happens for a reason. It's not always bad. You wrote in your book, 
I think it was your wife that said, why are you so nosy? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me right there. But I never consider being nosy. I consider being interested in yeah. the person. Is that yeah. how do you look at that? Well, I think uh, more astute people would probably say curious because you know curious. you're OCD, I think yeah. more curious. Uh, and yeah, I mean, nosy is sort of like the negative way to look at curiosity. But again, if we're not curious about what other people are feeling and saying, we're never going to know what they're feeling or saying. Most people are not going to share that they had a rough day or something's going on in life unless someone asks. There are very few people in this world, James, and I'm sure you, you know this, that will just volunteer to say something to you unless it's you know your, your spouse or, or, or a close family member. Most people are not going to share unless, hey, you look kind of down today. Is there anything you want to talk about? You know, that curious piece is something that's really missing in this world that we're just not, you know, going back to my QAnon story. You know, if I wasn't curious about this person, I probably wouldn't have this conversation, have a different understanding of him. Um, so it's I think we all need to be curious. I think the best the best, most creative people are curious. You know, when we see these amazing films and TV shows they didn't happen because these people live their lives unless they're ripped from a true life story. A majority of them are because people were curious to live in these worlds that they're building, whether it's fantasy or action or drama. They're curious people. That's why they make it because they're like, oh, I have this idea for this one thing. Let me look into it and let me discover more about it. So that's like the fiction piece of it. But like even in our lives, it's like if we're more curious as to what other people are thinking and feeling, and that is also that's a big part of the empathy piece, because to be curious, you really have to be empathetic and care about what other people are thinking. So I think those two go hand in hand. If you are an empathetic person by nature, I think you'll be curious. There was a book uh, about the about introverts, and I think it was called Quiet. And I, the, the author is escaping me right now. Mm -hmm. But she wrote in the book how introverts actually can be some of the best conversationalists and i just think we like being antisocial and being an introvert are completely different things yeah, absolutely and i feel like if i feel like we could all benefit from getting out and just chatting with strangers a little bit more yeah. than we do yeah unfortunately the pandemic had a lot to do with that you know it it changed a lot of habits of 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 even you know, some people, the fear, not for their, not for silent a conversation. It's the fear of possibly getting COVID. So, I mean, and some people lived with that fear. Um, I know for the first few months of the pandemic, my wife and I are like, well, listen, it's what's, what's the point of, you know, we don't know, we don't know anything about vaccines. We don't know how transmissible any of this stuff is. So we, we, we hunkered down a lot, but then as you know, time went by and we read the science and we read the news and, we then we were like more comfortable going out and doing things like it was it took me like it took us like a year and a half to go to like a restaurant because to me I found it silly that people were going to restaurants with masks and then taking them off to eat. Uh, it's like Bill Maher said, like it's like what the linguine stops COVID, you know, it's so uh, so that's what, so I couldn't connect the two things where I was like, yeah, I mean, I really want to go out and experience life. But then why would I want to wear a mask while I'm out and then put take it off while I'm eating. So I found that very silly. So, you know, then once the vaccines came out and, uh, you know, the, the numbers started dying down and people were, uh, we, we found alternatives to, to, to beat the disease. Uh, I felt more comfortable going out just because I was just, you know, 
I just didn't feel like it was worth going to get a burrito. And I was, I would, I would, I would maybe die. I just wouldn't know because I just didn't know enough about it. But again, the curiosity piece, the more and more I read about, uh, you know, the transmissible, transmissible nature of the disease and how you can get it and where you can go and how, how you can protect yourself. Then I was like, oh, okay, cool. Now I feel comfortable going out and enjoying myself and having conversations with people in real life. So do you, are you happy? Did you feel like your social skills, uh, kind of atrophied in any way <laughs> no i think it's like riding a bike like once you once you once once you've done it once you get, get back into it i mean obviously it's just it's a bit jarring from just being you know trapped in the house with <laughs> with your loved ones and then going out but after those first few times out it's like oh, okay cool this is this is how it used to be the good old days what do you think yeah the good old days. what do you think it did for like the relationships with spouses like you're home all the time now. Yeah. Like I used to like have some time for like by myself. Yeah. It's funny how that was weird because I remember people were saying, Oh, the divorce rates are going to go up. And, oh, and then there was like people like, Oh, they're just going to make babies. And it turned out like the, um, like the fertility, like people stopped having babies during the pandemic because they weren't in the mood. Like obviously people were having babies, but people expected there to be like these astronomical numbers of, of babies being born due to the pandemic. But it turned out that people just weren't in the mood. You know, people like they just, or were f fearful. Like, oh my God, what if I get pregnant during a pandemic and I got to go to the hospital? So, so all the things that people expected from a pandemic, I don't think really happened because we all just assumed, oh, if we're all locked together in this one space, we're either all going to be having sex or all going to be fighting. And it just, <laughs> it just wasn't the truth. <laughs> That would, it's like makes for a good movie, but it doesn't make for good real life. I would no, it say, doesn't. yeah, it's like you ever see like the stat when like a team wins, uh, like a championship. They'll say that the the birth rates go up because everyone's celebrating by fooling around that night. I think you know, especially if it's a city that hasn't won a title, but like you'll so have you better be like, you better be careful in Charleston. I mean, you guys, you know, won the minor league championship. Yeah. that's a big deal, right? Although I, I will say it's it's strange down here coming from being a city kid in New York where. Basically, like collegiate and high school sports are not a big deal to down here where the the evening newscast will have a, like a 30 minute recap on high school sports. Yeah, really weird for someone like me. And I'm sure for people who come from bigger cities where high school sports are not even on like the top 100 things they covered in local news. But the fact that there are no really major professional teams outside of a couple minor league teams. So that, that uh, speaking of things that are different, that was very different down here in Charleston, how they embrace like college and high school sports that they don't do in the New York metropolitan area. And I'm sure in other big cities as well. And actually just how college football in general is here. Mm. You have to have a team, um, whether it's Clemson or Alabama or, or whomever your team is, yeah. you got to have a team and people are like, Oh, who are you rooting for this week? I'm like, not nobody. I'm like, <laughs> I'm actually taking offers. If you want to pay me to like root for your team, yeah. I'll do it. Like I'm, you know, I just, I just have never gotten into that. Yeah, they embrace their college down here, especially. I remember, like during the start of football season, people put flags up for yeah. their university. Hey there, sorry to interrupt the show, but I hate to tell you this. It was at this point in our conversation that for some reason Joe's audio did not record the finale, but I did the best I could to recover my side and some of the nuggets that I reiterated that he made throughout the end of the show. And so I left that in here for you to enjoy and hopefully get something from. But thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I uh, hope to talk to you soon. What I just thought of is being present is such an important 
part of this recipe, whether any conversation you're having, if you're not fully present because you're thinking about work or a fight you had earlier that day or looking at your phone or thinking about the news or whatever, you're going to miss what's not there because you're not fully engaged. We do need to find carve out an hour once in a while to just disconnect and be present in whatever we're doing. It doesn't even have to be in a conversation. It could be anything. It could just be sitting on a park bench staring at a pond by yourself. I think uh, we could all benefit from that. And my challenge is do that for one extra hour. And it's when you're with a friend or your spouse or someone you care about, do the same thing and just see how much better life can be if you're just a little more present. I probably disconnect from my phone a little too much maybe sometimes. I'm, some people will be like, oh, I can't even reach you. I left you a voicemail. Didn't you get it? I'm like, no, my phone was at home and I was at the farmer's market. Like, I have to over-index on not having my phone because it is so addicting. I'm so grateful we had a chance to talk. I love conversation. That's why I started the show. People ask me all the time, why did you start a podcast? I said, well, I love to read books and I love to learn and I always have more questions for the author. So it was just the perfect medium for it. And if someone else can benefit from it, from it even better. But um, your book, I think, I, I was reading it from the lens of a podcaster. Like, hey, how can I learn some more techniques to become a better podcaster? But what I was learning while I was reading it was that it really could benefit anyone that wants to get better at conversations, whether they're in sales, whether they're dating, whether they're married, no matter what they're doing, getting better at conversation, being present is gonna help them. And so I would recommend checking out the book. It's on Amazon, I saw that. And it's not a long book and it's full of stories. And so it's teaching through storytelling, which is the only way I like to learn. And I love that you pointed out your distaste for an expert because I have a hard time calling myself an expert in anything um, because I just, I, 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 I'm still trying to learn that like self-help guru, expert. I don't know. I don't like those titles. I, I have a problem with them. The entire book is that people are just people. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'll link to everything we talked about, the books that uh, you recommended. And also, there was a, a, a story from a movie I hadn't ever seen before, Harper, in your in your book. And I went and watched that that intro. It took me a little bit of time to actually find it on YouTube, but I found it. So I'll link that in the show notes too. I'm actually going to watch that movie because the movie looks really good. I'm, I'm a total detective nut. Thanks for listening to this episode of The James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time.